Well, of all the jobs that are in danger of being taken over by robots, I never thought mine would be one of them. And yet here we are at the beginning of 2023, and one of the things that we've seen in 2022 is the rise of artificial intelligence. Did you know a lot of the news articles that you're reading online and in newspapers, those aren't written by people. Those news articles are written by AI, artificial intelligence out there. They just plug in what they want the story to say. They even tell the, tell the robot what it wants to make you feel. And, and you read those and, and you're moved by them. You're angered by them. You're encouraged by them. And uh, teachers are worried right now that they can't really do take-home essays anymore for students because the student gets the essay at home and just goes online and types in what the essay is supposed to be about, how long the essay is, and boom, the computer spits the essay out. It's just a matter of time before somebody plugs in a scripture, picks a topic, and says, I want to hear a sermon about this. And even worse, you could tell that robot, I want it to be 15 minutes or less so I can get to the buffet before the Baptists get there. And it'll do it. Not like me. I won't do that, but it would do that for you. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Some people don't believe in preaching anymore. They, they say preaching doesn't work. You know, we live in a world where 250 or 280 character tweets, that's what gets attention. You, even if you're not on there, you read those tweets in the news every now and then. In a day when you can do a one-minute video on TikTok, and within moments, thousands of people have viewed that and listened to what you've had to say, preaching doesn't work. But I have to say, I believe in preaching. I believe it has the power to change lives. I believe preaching has the power to change communities. It, it has the power to change our world. Uh, I believe preaching has the power to convict and, that, and to bring comfort to us. And you, I think you're here today too because you believe in preaching also. You know that preaching can make a difference. We're going to be in 2 Timothy today. Verse, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. It is page 996 if you want to follow along in those blue Bibles that are in front of you. I was in a preaching class a few months ago, and we were talking about how to, how to help preachers preach better. And our professor, Dr. Snell, he spoke up and he said, You know, we all want preachers to preach better, but why isn't someone helping the people who listen to us know how to listen to a sermon better, how to listen for the big idea of the sermon, how to listen for an illustration, how to follow the, uh, the path of the argument or the ideas that the preacher is presenting. And I thought that was a great idea. And so I took that as a bit of a challenge. And I thought, well, here we are on the first day of the year. So this is my sermon on how to listen to sermons, <laughs> what to listen for in a sermon. Now, your mileage may vary depending on the preacher, but at the very least, this, this kind of gives you an idea of where I go with my messages. And where we have to begin, of course, is in the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, I charge you, and the, the you he's writing to there is, of course, his friend Timothy, a younger preacher. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word, 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. There is the old saying, no one should see how sausage is made. And I, having watched sausage be made a couple of times, I'll tell you, it will put your appetite off of sausage if you watch the sausage be made. And I've often added to that, no one should see how sausage or sermons are made because it can be messy. It is a process that looks a bit like chaos at time. And I think it could put you off the flavor of a sermon if you're not careful. But there's purpose even in the chaos of writing a sermon. Purpose to convey with clarity what the Word of God is saying to us. What the Word of God is saying to, to you, to our church, to our community. And to do that, the preacher has to get to the heart of the passage that we've chosen for that week. And to do that, we have to approach the text of Scripture and we have to ask the question of the text and of ourselves. What is the one truth? What is that one truth that I want people to hear in this passage, in this message that I have for them? And believe it or not, a good sermon is only going to have one point. A good sermon only has one point. Now some of you hear that and you're saying to yourself, you mean there's a point? <laughs> you, you got a point to this? And others of you hear that and you say, no, 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 I've heard three-point sermons. The first point, second point, third. You know, I've heard preachers talk about three points, four points, maybe even more than that. But hopefully the whole sermon is directed towards one big idea, one point. In college, we were taught to call that our thesis statement. I like to call it my sermonic dominant thought. Doesn't that sound important? A lot of preachers call it the big idea or the big hairy idea. What's the big hairy idea behind this sermon? And a huge part of writing a sermon is determining what that one big hairy idea is going to be. And a huge part of delivering the sermon is making sure you can hear that one big idea that I want to share with you. Most of my sermons, that one big idea is distilled down to a, I like 14 words or less, a sentence of 14 words or less. Hopefully it's memorable. Hopefully it is pointed to you. I try to make it as personal to you as possible, as pointed to you. I don't want you to miss it. Some preachers will state up front. Some preachers will say, if you don't hear anything else that I say after this, make sure you hear this. And they'll give you their big idea. Some preachers will say, if you fall asleep right now, <laughs> please make sure you remember this one thing. I, I'm hoping you don't fall asleep. But we'll try to make sure that you hear that message, that one big idea. You hear Paul's big idea in what he's written to his young preacher friend, Timothy. Can you hear Paul's big hairy idea? Verses 1 and 2, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, I charge you, preach the Word. There it is right at the beginning of verse 2. Preach the Word. Word And everything else that Paul writes in these verses flows from that idea. Preach the Word. Everything else that he writes will defend that big idea, will back it up. 
Paul can do that up front because Paul knows that preaching is important. Paul can do it for Timothy because Timothy, who he's writing to, knows that preaching is important. You and I are here because we believe that preaching is important. Some people might need to be convinced. And it might be that sometimes to get to that big idea, we've got to work through a lot of obstacles first. Sometimes the big idea is stated up front. Sometimes it comes later. Very often in my preaching, the big idea is stated towards the end of the sermon. You'll hear me work through a lot of things before we get to the big idea. You see, I think I think preaching is kind of like golf because I don't know how to play golf. And a lot of Sundays, I think I don't know how to preach either. But what little I do know about golf reminds me of preaching. Steve Hood let me borrow this club. Is that a nine iron? Is that what that is? I don't know what exactly it is. Uh, it says it's a P, <laughs> whatever it is. Anyway, Steve let me borrow this club, and Steve, Steve came over this summer, and we talked about golf, but really we were talking about preaching, because I had a feeling that preaching was an awful lot like golf. You know, golf would be great if every time you stepped up, if every time you, took, you hit that ball from the tee, if every time you did that, you got a hole-in-one. That would be great. Jim, you golf. How many hole-in-ones have you got? Yeah. None. He's got none. Now, Steve Hood will tell you that he's gotten one, right? Steve's gotten one? He'll tell you all about it? See, Jim, here's what I think. He's only got one more than I've ever gotten. I mean, how hard can it be? He's only done it one time. I've done it none. This is one more. That's no big deal. So it'd be great if you could hit a hole-in-one every time, but you can't because you have obstacles in the way, right? You, first of all, there's your own strength. Can you do that? But then there's obstacles. There's obstacles like, well, maybe the wind's blowing a certain way and you've got to work around the wind. Or you've got a rough area. You know, you've got some woods to work around. You've got some water. Maybe there's a sand trap. Something that you've got to work around before you can get to that point. You can get to that hole. You can get to that big, hairy idea. And sometimes we have obstacles in our way of getting to the point of the Word of God. Sometimes it's a cultural, a cultural mindset. Sometimes it's something that our culture tells us that is wrong, but it's sounded attractive enough for long enough that we've kind of taken it in and we've said, yeah, we, and we have to work around that to get back to the Word of God. Sometimes, I, I hate to use the word, but sometimes it's a prejudice we might have that we've got to work around. And, and sometimes it's just that, well, we, we'd rather do what we want to do rather than what the Word of God tells us to do. And so I've got to kind of help us work around those things so we can get to the big idea. Sometimes to get to that big idea, there's, we have to get past a lot of garbage that's in our way. And sometimes we like that garbage. We're very fond of that garbage. And so just like golf with that goal in view, the preacher will start working towards the big idea. But how we get there can look very, very different. Not every sermon is going to follow the same form. There are a lot of factors that depend on, on what the sermon, what the final sermon is going to look at. Some of it depends on the text. How straightforward is it stated? What, how straightforward is the big idea? Well, here, Paul says it up front. Preach the word. Okay, we, we see it right there. Uh, some of it depends on the preacher. There have been times when I've looked at a text and I've said, I don't think I can pull that off. <laughs> I don't think I know how to preach that text. There's a lot of texts I can tell you. I, I just don't know how to preach that yet. 
Sometimes it's the audience. Can I make sure you hear me correctly? What's the best way to relate this truth to, uh, to you? But you know, you and I are blessed with a very long relationship. We've been at this together for the last 20 years, for two decades, and, and you have suffered through some bad sermons in that time. Do you want to give me another? Hallelujah, Hallelujah right there. You've suffered through some bad sermons in the last 20 years, but the blessing is we've kind of gotten to know each other through the, even those tough ones. We know what to expect from each other. We've learned how to hear each other. Sometimes the best way to get to the big idea is for me to tell you some stories because stories are important to us. You know, the, the great temptation is just stand up here and give you a lecture. Here are three reasons why Jesus is awesome. No one's going to listen to that. You don't need that. That's boring. And, and more to the point, it's a proven fact that if I stand up here and I just start reciting facts and figures, your eyes glaze over and they get, yeah, you start looking like Uncle Ronnie over there. You know, that story of facts and figures will put you to sleep every time. But stories, you're wired to listen to stories. If I stand up here and say, once upon a time, your ears perk up. More properly, if I stand up here and say, there was a certain man who had two sons, you're going to lean in and listen. Or if I stand up here and say, I'm worried robots might take over my job, <laughs> you'll maybe pay a little bit more attention. Because as soon as we start hearing stories, it's a proven fact, the neurons in our brain start firing again. We perk our ears up, we lean in, and we want to listen to stories. I do my best to find stories for my sermons that are going to help understand, help us understand the Bible and make the Bible more accessible to us. Some of those stories come out of the Bible itself. Did you realize that seven, here's a fact and figure for you, don't let it glaze you over yet, but 70% of the Bible is story. 70% of the Bible is narrated is, is narrative it, it, it's stories god knows how your brain is wired god knows that you love stories sometimes it's a story from history that i'll pull sometimes what i really love to do is tell your stories tell our stories personal stories but often it's not even a whole story it's just a matter of finding a way to relate the truth to make it more expressive to make it more tactile to where you can feel what the word is saying to you to try to make it come to life listen to what paul does in verses three and four for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching oh but having itching ears itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth did you feel those words? Did you feel the itching ears? You feel the turning away? Have you ever had a friend turn their back on you? Man, you feel that, don't you? And that whole idea of wandering off into their own directions, you feel that. It's expressive language. It doesn't just engage your head, but it engages your heart. I used to have the hardest time with Connor when he was little. When Connor was little, he was quiet. You remember when he was quiet? <laughs> and he was so quiet, some days he would just let himself out of the house and we wouldn't even know he was gone. And it would be minutes later when someone would finally say, has anyone seen Connor? 
And he would have wandered off. More often than not, we found him in the park. One time we found him in Dave Bottoms' garden once. But more often than not, we found Connor off in the park. Why? Because there are shiny things in the park. There are wonderful distractions in the park. There's the swing set. There's the slides. And he loves those things. And so just following his own path, he would wander away. Wander away from the protection of his home. Wander away from the love of his mom and dad. Paul's worried about us in this text that we will wander away. And maybe something will distract us to the point that we that we'll just walk away. We'll find something shiny, some shiny new idea, some shiny new thing to, to be concerned about. And we'll wander away from the truth of God's Word. What would it take to make sure that our feet are firmly planted in the Word of God? You see what I did there? Taking the Scripture, tying it in with a story. I watched you lean in. You wanted to hear more about what Connor had gone through. Just like that story, weaving the Word and our experiences together brings a, a laser focus on the Word of God and holds us to His truth. But more than that, preaching calls each of us to a verdict. Pre preaching calls us to a verdict. What do we do with this truth? If I've done my job right, there is one question you should not be able to ask at the end of a sermon. The question is, so what? So what? What difference does anything that you just said make? What difference does it mean to me? So what? I mentioned that in a sermon many years ago in the old building, that the one question you should not be able to ask at the end of the, of the sermon is, so what? And the next Sunday, Danny and Cindy Mars came in. They sat down front, and as soon as I started preaching, they held up signs that said, so what? <laughs> I love them. <laughs> so encouraging. So what? Here's the truth of God. What do we do with it? It calls for a verdict. What are you going to do with the Word of God? A couple years ago, I was in a preaching class with Dr. Chuck Sackett. You've all been praying for Chuck. We've got some good news to share from Chuck this week. But you've all been praying. And I was in a class with Dr. Sackett, and I was preaching my sermon. I preached my little heart out and I got done. And, and I looked over at Chuck and he's got his arms crossed and he's just kind of thinking about it. And he said a few very kind things, encouraging things, and told me what he liked. And then he asked that question that I had been dreading. He asked the one question I did not want to answer. Chuck looked at me and he said, So, Brett, what was the purpose of that sermon? What was the purpose of the sermon? Well, Chuck, I. I was trying to kill about 20 minutes, then we can go have lunch, and then I can go home and take a nap. That was the purpose. Of, that was the wrong answer, by the way. That's the wrong answer. A sermon ought to have a purpose. It ought to be there to do something other than just fill time. And honestly, it can be one of the hardest parts of writing the sermon, determining what the purpose of this sermon is going to be, giving thought to how do you finish this sentence? How do you finish the sentence? As a result of this sermon, my listeners will dot, dot, dot. 
My listeners will know that God loves them. My listeners will be certain that they can overcome the obstacles in front of them. My listeners will draw closer to Jesus. My listeners will love their neighbors in very important and tangible ways. How do we respond to the Word of God? You hear it in Paul's encouragement to Timothy, by the way. Again, verse 2, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Well, there's three things right there that a sermon ought to do, that preaching can do. It reproves us. That means to reprimand us. Preaching corrects us. It shows us where we've gone astray. It shows us where we've wandered off. It rebukes us. When we've allowed our itching ears to steer us in directions that we want to go instead of the Word, Preaching can rebuke us and correct us, and it exhorts us. That is, it comforts us. Preaching is not just about stepping on your toes. Preaching is not just about giving you a kick in the pants. Preaching should comfort. Preaching preaching should, should encourage. It should draw us closer to the God who loves us, the God who longs to forgive us. And if I've done my job, if I've prepared for Sunday morning, we will go to the Word of God and together we will see the truth that God has for us, a timeless truth that applies to our world. We will come away knowing that His Word is alive, that it has the power to impact us, to change our world, to correct us, to draw us closer to Him. That's why I love preaching. That's why we believe in preaching because we know that preaching has the power to change your world. Now, maybe a robot can do that. Maybe there's some artificial intelligence program that can do that, but I don't, think an art, I don't think a robot can know your heart. And I don't think a robot cares about your stories. I don't think a robot can hear your needs. I don't think a robot can come over and pray in the darkest moments of your life with you. And maybe I'm going to go down like John Henry. Remember John Henry? And the steam drill. Maybe I'll go down, but I'll go down preaching because I love preaching and I know that preaching has the power to change your world. And I am so blessed to be your preacher, to have you. It, it is an honor to get to serve you. I look back over 20 years of sermons and some of those sermons I look back and I think, what was I thinking? Why was I thinking preaching that? And you might react the same way, but, but thankfully you're gracious and kind. And while we, our words and our hearts might fail us sometimes, we're all in this together and we will get there together because preaching has the power to change your world. 2023 is ahead of us. And in 2023, we're going to go to the Word of God and we're going to hear His message for us today. We're going to spend a couple of months Back in your Old Testament in the little book of the prophet Micah. Why on earth are we going to Micah? Micah was a small town preacher. Very small community. Preaching to his community about the big problems that were happening in their world and in their nation. Micah had something to say, not just to that small community, but also to the, the rest of the, of the world. I think Micah might have a message for us. We're going to spend a little time in the letter to the Galatians with the Apostle Paul where Paul has to remind them that they need to hold firmly to Christ and not let anything else distract them. We're going to spend some time in Galatians. 
And I think we need to spend some time this year talking about grief. Because as Paul, as Paul mentions here, be ready in season and out of season. The last couple of years, we've had a big season of grief. And I think it's important that we spend some time talking about how to get through grief together. And every time we come to the Word of God, we will ask the Holy Spirit to meet us here. We'll ask the Holy Spirit to convict us where we need convicting, to bring comfort where we need comforting. And He will do that because He's promised to be present in the Word and because preaching has the power to change our world. Now, I'm, I'm the kind of preacher that knows that my sermon is not the most important thing that we do every week. <laughs> it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of work putting a sermon together, but I know it's not the most important thing that we do. Like our worship, like our prayers, like the time that we spend just in fellowship here, even our donut time is important. But it all draws us here to the table. It all draws us to this moment where Jesus has promised to meet us. Week after week, He promises. In the cup and in the loaf, He is present. And so, it's not just about the message. It's about where the message leads us. And it ought to lead us to this moment. In just a moment, we'll encounter Christ together. We'll meet Him here. We're going to sing a song that I think we've sung the first Sunday of the year for the last few years. Just to remind you, the tune is Old Lang Syne. You were probably singing it with a lampshade on your head last night, right Tom? Maybe not, no? You've heard Old Lang Syne before. That's the tune. Listen to the words. They are so beautiful and so meaningful. We'll sing. Let me pray. We'll sing and then we'll take the, take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, You've not left us to wonder who You are. You've not left us to guess about what Your will is. You have given us Your Word. You have shown us exactly who You are and exactly what it means to follow You. And You've shown us Your grace and Your compassion and Your mercy. And so, Lord, we come back to Your Word every week to hear, to hear what You have to show us, to hear what, who You are. And we come to this table week after week because it's here that we encounter Your Son together. Lord, we've been to a lot of places this week. Some of our friends here have been in the hospital. Some of our friends here have been through horrible moments of grief. And yet we are very aware that as we come to the table, we encounter Your presence. We encounter Your peace. And we know Your grace in a, in a new way. We ask You to bless this, this bread that represents His body broken, the cup that represents His blood shed for us. And we ask You to bless this time as we spend it together in Your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.